This is Jamie with Stonemeyer Games, and I just wanted to congratulate the co-op cast for reaching their one-year anniversary. I recently discovered it, and I binged it because it is a fantastic podcast about cooperative games, and it was a pleasure to be on the show recently. Congratulations to everyone. I hope there are many, many years of the co-op cast in the future. Hey, gamers. This is Liz Davidson from Beyond Solitaire, and I want to congratulate Co-op Cast on its one-year anniversary. Thanks for the great work, guys. My morning commute wouldn't be the same without you. Yo, my peoples, what's up? This is Jason from the Every Night is Game Night podcast. You might remember me from the episode we did on Pandemic Legacy Season 2. I have put in my application with the Co-op Cast boys to see if I can be their official pandemic correspondent to hop on the show whenever we talk about a pandemic of which we're going to get many... (laughs) I'm sure, going down the line. I just want to hop on and say congrats to the boys for uh, one year of podcasting. Not easy to last an entire year. And I hope that many, many years of co-op goodness are ahead. Later, everybody. This is Steve from the other side of Co-op Cast. I just wanted to take this opportunity to congratulate both Peter and Mike on one year of creating podcasts. It's been a real pleasure having the opportunity to produce content with these guys. And I hope they never stop. This is Colin from the One Stop Co-op Shop. I just wanted to say congratulations on your one-year anniversary for doing the podcast. It has been my pleasure to be a part of your podcast for the last couple of months. Thanks to Steve, we've been able to keep up with you guys, but I'm excited to jump back in. And I hope we have many more years of doing pods together. Hello, and welcome to Co-op Cast, where game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly talk about cooperative board games. Join us each week as we break down one game and have a related design discussion. Hello, and welcome to a very special episode 34 of Co-op Cast. I am Peter, one of your hosts, and what makes this show so special is this is our one-year anniversary. And for that anniversary, we're actually going to give you two reviews this week, and we are going to have some very special guests on the episode as well. So the first review you're going to get is from Mike and his wife, Vanessa, and they're going to cover Legacy of Dragonhold, a co-op game from Fantasy Flight Games. And then I am going to get on with two very special guests of my own. I'm going to have my son, Nicholas, and my daughter, Allison, and we are going to tell you about A Tale of Pirates. And then at the very end of the show, Mike and I are going to get on together and we're going to talk a little bit about what this year has brought for us and what exciting things we have planned for the future and just kind of reminisce a little bit about the past year and some of the things that have happened. So I hope you're looking forward to it all, but let's get started right away with Mike and Vanessa telling us about Legacy of Dragonhold. Hey everyone, this is Mike without Peter, but I have a very special guest on the show, my lovely wife, Vanessa. Say hi, sweetie. Hello. How's everybody? Well, I'm doing fine, and I hope everyone out there is doing well too. Vanessa and I are going to start off this episode with a discussion of a game that we've been playing and enjoying together, Legacy of Dragonholt from Fantasy Flight Games. Hold on, I need to say it. Legacy of Dragonholt. Vanessa is all about the Scottish Gaelic accents, as you'll probably hear more about later. And then uh, immediately following this section of the episode, you're going to get to hear from Peter and his two children talking about a game they've been playing. So this is a family episode here on Co-Opcast. So before we get into discussing Legacy of Dragonholt, 
I wanted to talk to Vanessa a little bit. I know her very well, but you all might not be familiar with her at all. Sweetie, first of all, why don't you tell the listening public about your involvement with MVP Board Games, our design company? Well, I'm sort of the inadvertent V of MVP. I've playtested, but more notably, I was the illustrator and graphic designer for Salvation Road. Yeah, so you've heard us talk about this a bit, but Salvation Road from Van Ryder Games was our first published design. And man, the illustrations are great, but if you've not seen the graphic design, especially on the board for this game, just go to BGG and look up the images of it right now. I think Vanessa, sweetie, did an amazing job on it. (laughs) <laughs> it, it was the the other thing I gave birth to that year. I was <laughs> pregnant for the majority of that production, and I was actually in labor when I handed over the files. And I said, well, it better be done. <laughs> I'm about to have a kid. <laughs> yes, I can say without any reservations that Vanessa is certainly the hardest working member of this couple. <laughs> <laughs> So thank you, sweetie, for helping me create our first game and also giving birth to our uh, first child. Uh, Vanessa, just to get to know you a little bit in terms of gaming, what was what kind of gaming did you play when you were a kid and teenager, all that kind of stuff? How did you first get into gaming if you did? Gosh, you know, the games that I played when I was a kid can all be summed up in a single word. Frustration. <laughs> they were Candyland and... Monopoly and Uno and Trivial Pursuit, all of which were ridiculous to play with my older sibling who was six years older than me and won because she was just older and wiser and better. And I was like, this sucks. You sure she didn't cheat at all? Because I know my brothers cheated when they were older than me and played games. Oh, gosh. Whether or not she cheated, it was just the experience that I recall. And and so it sort of put me off (laughs) board games for a very long time. But yeah, I I guess I got back into casual board game playing when I met you. And it was maybe our third date that we got together and we played Mr. Jack. Yes, so everyone listening, this is important advice. Unless you know for sure they love board games, you gotta, you know, let those marinate for a little while. Don't don't reveal your dark cavern of board game <laughs> dumb until, you know, the third date, fourth date, usually a safe bet. <laughs> yeah, little did I know I was being tested. Like Oh, oh yeah, of course. <laughs> and and you know, thankfully I passed. <laughs> I'm sure I would have loved you anyway. It's just an extra bonus that you also enjoy one of my favorite hobbies. No, no, no. I know the truth. I know that if I'd come out and said, well, that was fun, but I'm not really into board games. You would have been like, mental note, ditch this one. It's possible. It's possible. I think it's likely. (laughs) So is that right? You hadn't played any sort of hobby board games, even Settlers of Catan or Carcassonne or any of those? No, absolutely not. I mean, the the board game that I excelled at wasn't even really a board game. It was Pictionary (laughs) for obvious reasons. Yeah, and actually, I should have mentioned when we talked about Vanessa doing the graphic design and illustration, she has her own company. She's illustrated children's books, done lots of other things. Uh, before we get into Legacy of Dragonhold, sweetie, where can people reach you online and where can they go to see your work? Come visit me at www.redadmiralstudio.com. Red Admiral, that is a type of butterfly. It is the Vanessa species of butterfly. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice, very nice. So go check it out. All right, but now we're going to get into uh, our deep dive in this family 
broadcast of the podcast. Legacy of Dragonholt uh, came out from Fantasy Flight Games. I think it's close to a year ago now, maybe more recent than that. But this is, for those who aren't aware, it's basically a choose-your-own-adventure mm-hmm. type of system. And I believe they're planning to make more games with the same system. But this one is set in Terranoth, which is the proprietary intellectual property of Fantasy Flight Games that they've set uh, pretty much all of their fantasy games in. That includes the Runebound series, the Descent series of games, and also Legacy of Dragonhold. And the theme here is that you are a band of adventurers, but you're a band of adventurers and you've received a letter from a friend who you used to adventure with asking you for help. And the very first little adventure you have is trying to reach the town of Dragonholt where this friend is staying. And there's a main quest in the game that you're trying to resolve, sort of a main villain you're trying to defeat. But at the same time, there are these side quests that are optional that you might fall into or find your way into based on your choices. So you might even miss some of them on your playthrough. But that's uh, kind of the overall theme of the game. Now, in terms of mechanics, this is an entirely diceless system. When you make your characters, you choose a race, you choose a class, and then you choose a certain number of skills, and also how much stamina you want your character to have, which is basically (laughs) your life point total. And when you make choices in the game, a lot of choices you can make freely. In typical choose-your-own-adventure format, it'll say, read 1022. And you flip through a booklet for whichever adventure you're currently playing. So there are a series of, I think, eight or nine booklets that come with the game. So you flip to 1022. You read often a couple paragraphs and sometimes even a full page. And then sometimes it'll send you straight to the next entry. But again, like typical choose-your-own-adventures, usually you'll get a series of choices. And they'll have gatekeepers on what choices you can make. So sometimes it'll say you need a certain item to uh, make a choice, but most often it'll require you to have a certain skill. So it might say you can only use this option if you're good at archery. You can only use this option if you are stealthy. You can only use this option if you have persuasion. So those are the basics of how the game works. I will note that when you're playing with two or more players, you additionally have these activation tokens. And basically whenever you are the one who makes a choice and you are the one who's using your skills for that choice, you flip your activation token. And until every other character has had a turn to do the same and make one of the choices for the game, you cannot make choices and cannot contribute your skills to any of the tests that might happen. So that's how they handle multiplayer. You basically take turns being the decision maker and using your set of skills. And I will note that there is no player death. If you lose all your stamina, you start deactivating skills, and until you can heal them, those skills are unavailable for use. But I believe that if all of your skills are completely gone, there's nothing can happen. You still cannot die. (laughs) They just carry you around on a stretcher. (laughs) You're you're just limping your way through adventure and being useless. (laughs) So that being said, uh, we're going to jump into our actual review. So if you have not listened before, welcome. What we generally do is we talk about five things about the game that stand out the most to us. They could be pros, they could be cons, they could be somewhat mixed. And then we'll discuss them in the order of importance. So the least important of the five up to the most important thing we feel about the game. And we'll end with final thoughts. And since this is a shorter family episode, that will be it. There will be no design discussion today. So, Vanessa, you are the special guest today. (laughs) What was your number five point about Legacy of Dragonholt? My number five point, it's probably not important for the audience at large, but for me as an illustrator, I would say that I feel like the book could have used a little bit more illustration. It was 
very nicely laid out, but it did feel a little bit like you were reading a manual. If that's not a problem for you, that's cool. But for me, I'm a pretty visual person. So maybe even more depictions of the sorts of species that are in this world or some of the interiors of the locations. Like you have this phenomenal map. There are so many rich descriptions of these places. I suppose maybe their justification was to leave it to the imagination of the reader. But I know I probably could have benefited from seeing a bit more artwork. Yeah, I'll I'll definitely agree with you there. Have, have you had much experience with Choose Your Own Adventure books, sweetie? I don't know what your history is with those kind of things. I have, yes. And, and I was a big fan of Choose Your Own Adventure books when I was a kid. Interestingly enough, I, I recall very vividly one Choose Your Own Adventure that I had read in which it sort of ended in this very special spooky manner where one of the outcomes was you get trapped in this ship and you become part of the ship. There was this illustration associated with this ending that creeps me out to this day. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, that sort of thing would have been really neat to see in some of the the resolutions. Yeah, and I'll agree with you on that. I, I personally also played the ton out of those Choose Your Own Adventure books when I was a kid. And then a little bit later in life, I played through all of the Lone Wolf Adventure books. Uh, some in book form, some in online. They have all of them available for free online now. Oh, nice. And also some of the uh, old Middle Earth choosing your adventure books. All of those had vivid designs and illustrations, especially of the characters you encounter. And that's probably what I'm missing the most here. Mm-hmm. And that leads into num- my number five, which is mostly a con, I would say. And that's that the game has too many characters and it becomes very tough to keep track of all of them. I'll say that there are two very main characters that journey with you right from the beginning. And I feel like them I'm very familiar with and I recognize their names immediately. But there's a bunch more NPCs, non-player characters in the town that you're located in. And I forget who they are if we don't play quickly. Like we, we have been playing over the course of weeks yeah. It's, it's a decently long game to get through. And I, I forget who some of them are. They have, you know, these convoluted fantasy names. Doesn't make it any easier. So, so my number five a, a complaint are that there are too many uh, minor characters that it's kind of hard to keep track of them. Mm-hmm. And again, I feel like your number five could possibly be remedied by some art. Oh, 100%. I, yeah. I think if I had illustrations of each of the characters, then I would have a much better picture of them in my mind. Mm-hmm. All right, so sweetie, what's your number four for Legacy of Dragonhold? So, you know, you and I, we were just two players for this game. And I feel like in retrospect, if we had had more players, it would have been quite problematic. You know, as you mentioned, the game is pretty long as it is. And if we'd had additional players in the mix, the risk of losing plot, I see the game becoming Yet longer. Yeah, it's funny. We're very similar on our first two points. My number four is the activation tokens and how they work for multiplayer. Mm. Again, we've only played two-player, but even there, it's a little bit awkward. In fact, maybe even more awkward because we just each take turns making a choice and then they're immediately back again. Mm -hmm. I feel like they might work better with three or four players because you're Mm -hmm. out of it longer and you have a, a longer gap before you're able to kind of make a choice again. Now, it's not entirely a con because I do like that deciding which character's activation token will be used can be a strategic choice based on what skill might be called for, like in the thematic text. So if it says you're going to try to trick somebody but doesn't say the skill that's used yet, you probably want to pick the character that has persuasion or deception. But at the same time, the writing is very much written, in my opinion, as though you were a single person. 
And sometimes, especially in combat, mm. situations don't really make sense with multiplayer. It'll say, I attack somebody and there's like another combatant and then that combatant stabs me in the back. Did my mm. friend cease to exist? Like, where are my other party <laughs> members? Why aren't they intercepting this guy? So it feels like sometimes you're playing it solo, even if you're playing it multiplayer. Mm. And yeah, it almost feels like they kind of shoved in a mechanic with these activation tokens to try to justify a multiplayer experience. We'll talk more about multiplayer and solo in our final thoughts, but that's where I am for my number four. How about your number three, Vanessa? So my number three is that it felt a little bit like we didn't have a whole lot of sway in the way the stories would unfold. So for instance, you know, we would have all of these skill sets, we would be presented with options, but the stakes never felt very high. And perhaps that has to do with the mechanic of when you lose stamina and you lose all of it, then you're just gonna say goodbye to one of your skills. You're not going to die or anything like that. You know, I would have liked to have seen a combination of my skill set and perhaps the species that I chose to be and the profession that I chose to be have greater impacts in the way the story went. Whatever differentiation there was across the varying storylines, and I guess, you know, we haven't had an opportunity really to go back and explore the decisions we did not make. I feel like in the end, we always manage to get where we need to be. We always sort of manage to win the mission because some of the options are like, you really have to be seeking your own death to, <laughs> to choose them. So yeah, just feeling like it's hard to, to really make a dent in the way the story is meant to play out. A lot of fate involved, I guess. Yeah, and I'll, I'll totally agree with you here, even though it didn't quite make it into my list in the same way. This reminds me a lot, and this is something I've talked about in previous episodes, but the Telltale Games series, they're the ones who did The Walking Dead. You, you watched me play that one a little bit, sweetie. I played it with you. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so th they often, at least I, I complain about them. I think others complain about them. I shouldn't <laughs> say often get criticized, but I, I criticize them because they present the illusion that your choices make a difference uh. while actually railroading you along a very linear path. Now, to be fair, we have not finished Dragon Holt yet. We're more than two-thirds of the way through, so close to the ending. But I haven't actually, like, gone back through and seen if our choices could have major differences in the story. But so far, it's hard to imagine how things wouldn't work out the way that they seemingly need to. Mm -hmm. Because... I just don't know, like, how the major paragraphs we're forced to read for certain days and things would make sense without those events being true. Like Vanessa said, the lack of a death condition, which is something that every choose-your-own-adventure I've ever played has always had. Like, you can make bad choices and die. You can roll badly in combat and die. The fact that your character will always push through to the end, on the one end, I kind of respect it. I certainly like it in Arkham Horror LCG, where you never are out of the game. But here, I, I don't know. I, I agree. It takes away some of the stakes. So I'm just kind of echoing what you said, <laughs> but I'm with you on it. So my number three is something we haven't talked about yet, but Vanessa had mentioned earlier a map, and there is a map of the town of Dragonholt. And when you're not on these sort of more linear scripted adventures, you have a town phase where you'll spend days in the town of Dragonholt, and a bit more like Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective or one of those kind of games, you can go to any of the buildings at any time and different things will happen there based on what day it is and based on what time it is. And this is uh, generally a pro that they have this because, first of all, it feels very different from the uh, adventures you do. 
And a big thing is that it feels much less linear. You don't feel like you're forced to do things because I could choose to go to this bar over and over again. I could choose to... <laughs> Never visit this location at all. I might meet some characters and never meet others. And they have kind of fun things based on the time mechanic, which is another thing that I'm uh, complimenting in this one, how they have time in the adventures mm. where things will or won't happen. So, for example, at one point we got invited to a special event in the morning and we had to choose to go to this location at the right time on the right day to experience this cool event that didn't have any major implications for the prime storyline, but kind of filled out the world more and gave us some fun experiences with characters. So I think there's a lot of really cool stuff in the town. Now, a a little bit of a complaint. Sometimes it feels like none of it matters. (laughs) And sometimes it feels like it's not going anywhere. Which I guess is the consequence of being non-linear. Like, not everything is going to be important. You might just go to a bar and they're like, yeah, nobody's here. There's a negative there, but I still respect that they managed to get a good narrative in the linear adventures mixed with a lot more freedom of choice in the town portion. Sweetie, do you have any thoughts on the town phase and how that compares to the kind of linear adventures? Whenever we did a town phase, I was always very eager to finish the town phase. (laughs) That's not a great great assessment of it. It speaks more to my personality than that it's a failure with the game. So, for instance, when you were playing Skyrim, I was just sitting there beating my head against a wall being like, why are you doing all these side missions? (laughs) Can't you just get back to the real thing and, like, achieve the the overall goal of the game? You're like, no, it's, it's fun to explore. Look at this cool dragon yell I can do now. I'm... Very much a, you know, I don't know if I want to mess around in some bar or apothecary to find a mushroom that's going to make me start tripping. (laughs) That might be in the game, by the way. (laughs) If it means that it's going to extend our experience of the main adventure. And again, it it wraps into all of the other things that we've said in so far as there are way too many characters. It adds more people to the mix that I have to keep track of. Oftentimes, some of the tasks that they send us on are, really? Like, you just want me to help you clean. Okay, that, guess what? I do that every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do think this is definitely more of a video game sensibility thing, because if you've played World of Warcraft or Skyrim or any of those kind of games, you're totally used to getting people's laundry or, you know, wiping out the infestation of cockroaches in some cave. <laughs> That's, well, yeah, but, those are RPG standards, you know. I mean, wouldn't it be great if you could do that kind of stuff in real life and get leveled up points and, like, achievements <laughs> and stuff like that? Like, you'd come home from work and the kitchen would be all clean and I'd be like, <laughs> yo, I just unlocked an achievement three days in a row cleaning the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> if life had achievements, then I think we'd all be a bit more motivated. <laughs> With that little uh, segue, Sweetie, you want to talk about your number two? I think we've actually already kind of addressed it, but I just wish that the profiles that we spent all of this effort constructing had factored into the gameplay a little bit more. So, for instance, my uh, my character is... An elven paladin, right? Yes, that's what it was. Yes, so she, <laughs> she was an elven paladin. And I constructed this awesome backstory in which Gildenor the Tolerant... That was her name. And the reason why was, she... Hey, we're not done. She, Gildenor is still yes, alive, Yes, Gildenor everyone. is still alive and, you know, kicking butt and taking names. But her backstory was so great. She's this incredible assassin, but she no longer 
exerts her skill in that way to punish and to sort of seek and destroy because she had fallen in love with one of her, I guess, what would you say, one of her targets and had to watch him get murdered or something like that. And it traumatized her. And so now she she tries to help restore the souls of bad people. I don't even know. But it was this really fabulously drawn out thing that I had thought was going to make some kind of a difference when it came to the decision-making process. But again, that's probably my own ignorance, not having played a game like that before. But then if if it doesn't factor, then why spend the time? Yeah, it is a weird thing because they do have this beautiful secondary book that does have illustrations of yeah. all the races. And I, I talked to St- uh, Steve on the other podcast about this, sweetie. I don't know mm-hmm. if you heard that episode. We talked about his experience with making characters and he and his wife did the same thing, like talking through them and really getting all these details. And yeah, the, the gameplay doesn't give you much opportunity for role playing as you're just reading these paragraphs. So I don't know if the characters matter that much. Right. Well, you know, and that's, again, part of managing my expectations. You and I play a fair amount of RPGs and, and whatnot with our friends. So when I see a sheet of paper that I am filling out and assigning skills to, I'm assuming that there is a little bit more role-playing. That was my number two. I just wish that all of the magnificent characterization that I had constructed had actually been useful during the, you know, playing the game. My number two is going to get back to a more mechanical design choice. And that is that as you make choices and accomplish things during the game or fail to accomplish them, you mark these little story points on this uh, running sheet of paper for the group. So it might say, uh, since you met this person, mark A2. Or since you talked to this person about his son, mark H3. And you just put a little X in it and then later paragraphs you might read will reference whether or not something is marked and give you different paragraphs based on that and this is almost 100 percent a pro i really like how this does give some branching experiences even if you as i suspect might end up in a similar place either way it at least uh matches things together and it must have taken a lot of work to make all these paragraphs work and all these story choices match up correctly oh, yeah definitely so you know like someone you've met they'll reference something that happened earlier something you did for somebody they'll discuss it later when you see them again so i do like that a lot the only negative I have is that unlike something like Arkham Horror LCG where you actually write down like the name of what you did, like you got the Necronomicon. And then it's like, do you have the Necronomicon? In this one, you just mark a letter and a number. So like A2 and then it'll say, do you have A2 marked? And I have no idea what A2 is. Like this is my only complaint with it. I literally, and, and, and sometimes oh, right, even yeah. after I read the paragraph because I had A2 marked, I'll still have no idea what A2 is. It'll be like, this guy <laughs> says this. And I'm like, why did he say that? What did I do? Like what, what happened earlier? That's the point at which all of our characters in this medieval universe stop time and fish in their satchels for index cards. Right. <laughs> yeah, like I feel like I should have taken more detailed notes. Now, to be fair, there are so many of these story points that the only way to make it easy for the players to mark them is to just have little check marks. Yeah. If you had to individually write down a phrase or sentence for each of these things, because we already have, God, like 30 of them marked, that, that would be <laughs> ridiculous and really uh, imposing upon your players. But in general, I like the mechanic. It's just that it can be hard, again, when you're playing over the course of several weeks to remember what the heck anything is. All right, uh, so big moment. What is your number one thing, good or bad, about Legacy of Dragonholt? So this is good. My number one thing is that I 
really uh, appreciated the writing. For as much as we harped a little bit on how complicated the storylines were with regard to how many characters there were, I thought that the writing was was fun. And I, I do know that there are some people out there that have criticized the writing for Legacy of Dragonholt, but by and large, it was fun to read aloud. It was very richly told. It probably could have benefited from a little bit more dialogue, but the scenes with our, you know, two cohorts featured quite a bit of dialogue, and that was kind of fun to read aloud because Mike and I are both former theater nerds, <laughs> so we got to put some performance to those passages. But yeah, I liked it. I, I enjoyed the storytelling. Yeah, and I'll back that up, and I'll say that Vanessa is a writer and was also an English major in college. I'm an English teacher, and I definitely think this is pretty good writing. I, I think it flows very well and reads very well. It's not going to win any awards, but when, when I've seen complaints about the writing online, I, I do not agree with them. I think it is generally very well written, and I mm-hmm. think the dialogue is quite charming and, mm-hmm. and is really well done when you get some of it. So yeah, overall, I agree with you. I think it's it's a fun story and it's fun to read. All right, so my number one is the lack of randomness, lack of dice, and the use of the skill system. And this is very mixed for me, so I'm not ending on a pro, I'm ending on a mixed one. On the positive side, I do very much like that you can make choices that match your skills and will often be rewarded for it by having that skill be required. Because just to explain, often when you make a choice, it doesn't say right then what skill you need. So it'll say, do you want to jump at this person? Do you want to surprise them? And then the next entry you read after a couple paragraphs will say, do you have this skill or do you not have this skill? Mm. So I like the way they do that because it rewards people who kind of think logically of which solutions to whatever problem presents itself will be best solved by the skills that your character has. So it kind of encourages you to play within your character's strengths. I like that part of it. You know, compared to something like Tales of the Arabian Nights, where you'll fight when you have the sword fighting skill, and then it'll be like, the genie sends a horde of locusts at you. Do you have the dancing <laughs> skill? And it's like, what? Why does that have the... Oh, crap. Did I have to go to the apothecary for that? Yeah, exactly. So I, I do appreciate that the skill system rewards you for playing within your character. That being said, I think the complete lack of randomness is a weakness here. My favorite Choose Your Own Adventures, like the Lone Wolf and the uh, Middle-Earth Choose Your Own Adventure books, they had die rolls, not just for combat, but also for just randomness within the experience. So you might make the exact same choice and end up with a different result sometimes based on the die roll. And even Tales of the Arabian Nights, for all its faults, had the same kind of thing. You would you can make the exact same choice with the exact same encounter, and you might have one of three actual results based on a die roll there. So while I like the skill system and how it gives you some more choice, the lack of any random factor here, and the fact that if I make the same choices, the exact same thing will happen every time I play, I think drastically limits the replayability of the game. But if you don't care much about playing through more than once, I don't think it's too big of a deal. I think the skill system is a pretty fun way to resolve things while giving you some theme and character as well. Uh, I do think, though, that skills can be differentiated a little bit better. I find it a little bit odd that agility and athleticism have nothing to do with each other. And if you have agility but not athleticism, you're toast. That's a good point. Yeah, and you'll be in combat and somebody will be charging you and you'll want to fight them with your sword and sometimes it'll be like use dueling and sometimes it'll say use military and you're like why why are they different i 
I want to fight the guy. <laughs> it's like, don't both of these require strategy? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you're, you're right. There are some, some negatives there. But yeah, so, so those are our five points on Legacy of Dragonholt. Sweetie, what are your final thoughts? Uh, who might this game be good for, and do you recommend it overall? I do recommend it, because I feel like especially if you are one half of a reasonably nerdy couple who likes to read aloud to each other anyway, this is a really fun and, and new way to bond. You know, you and I had a number of fun nights that ended in hilarity because of this game, and that's an experience that is worth having. I, I definitely recommend the game. Yeah, I do too, with some uh, some caveats and some notes. <laughs> I think it's probably actually best as a solo experience for somebody who enjoys Choose Your Own Adventures, because again, I think the design and the way it's written lends itself to solo play, and actually mm-hmm. becomes a little bit weird thematically if you have more people. Or, as Vanessa said, if you are one of a half, I think it could play really well as well. But I don't see this going too well with three or four or five people. Right. Another thing I'll note is if you're getting this to get a role-playing experience, if you're doing it solo, I think it's great because there is no other good way to kind of have this much of an adventure in a solo setting. But multiplayer, you are so constrained in what you can do and you don't really get to play your character much. I think you're much better off exploring a different system or just playing Mm -hmm. an actual role-playing game. I do not think this fills the kind of role-playing itch almost at all for me. Yeah. Because I'm not playing a role. I'm, I'm reading a novel with my wife, right, to make some choices. So it really is a choose-your-own-adventure, not a role-playing game, in my opinion. Right. But that being said, if you like choose-your-own-adventures, and you can either play this by yourself or play it with someone else who doesn't mind reading out loud if you like performing character voices and stuff, I think this could be <laughs> a lot of fun. It's not too expensive, and I fully intend to trade it or sell it the second that we're done the adventure, because there's not much replayability there. So I guess that's another thing. If you don't trade or sell your games, and this will just sit on your game shelf forever after you buy it, it's not going to be as good of a sell for you, because you know it's, it's probably cheaper to get one or two or three choose your own adventure mm-hmm. books for like 15 bucks instead of dropping like 35 or 40 to get this game mm-hmm. so uh, depending on where you fall on the things i just said i think this could be a great game for you but you know maybe not <laughs> those who would be on the fence about whether or not to employ the use of accents <laughs> i highly recommend it it's always going to be funny Although I will say, literally, 90% of the characters Vanessa reads have a Scottish accent. Like, or, or... 95%. Like, we, we are in Scotland. <laughs> that is that is where Dragonholt is, apparently. <laughs> With some Yorkshire, like, in the backyard. Yeah, like, this is, this, is, this is the fantasy land through the United Kingdom. That is right where we are. And God forbid there's alcohol involved, then it goes, like, straight to Australia. Wait, like, you're drunk or the character the is character. drunk? The character. Oh, <laughs> all right well sweetie thanks so much for being on the podcast it's really great to get you to share this with me yay thanks for having me this is fun and i hope you all get a chance to play something great with someone you love really soon thanks mike and vanessa for that great review of legends of dragonholt and now i'm going to get into a tale of pirates first i'll go over a rule summary with you real quickly and then we will get on to the kids thoughts They're each going to give you their top three, and I'm going to give you my top five things to know about a tale of pirates. 
So the first thing you need to know about the game, it is a real-time game, and the timer is controlled by an app which controls several aspects of the game. The first thing is it controls a lot of the rules. So whenever new things are introduced to the game, and they are introduced because there are 10 chapters in the game, and each chapter works similar to a legacy concept where new concepts are going to be introduced, new rules are going to be introduced, and they kind of walk you through. Now, it isn't something like Magic Maze, where they're kind of tutorial missions. While the complexity does build as you go along, there's certainly a story as you're going through it as well. So each chapter is going to have its own goal, but a lot of times it's doing something with these cards. It could be collecting gold. It could be going through passages. It could be buying pieces of a map from a bar. So there are a lot of different end goals, and they each work fairly differently from each other. But at the heart of the game, your goal is to complete each of these chapters by completing a certain goal as well as surviving two to three rounds. The main core of how the game works is there are these threat cards that are placed around your pirate ship. This pirate ship is a 3D structure that you build out of cardboard and it sits in the middle of the table and it actually holds your actions. So I said it was a real-time game and it's controlled by a timer, but you are also timers yourself. You actually have 30 second sand timers that you are going to put in these spots on the pirate ship to take your actions. And a lot of times they're going to revolve around moving your ship, turning your ship. You're basically trying to maneuver it to deal with these threat cards in one way or another. And the threat cards are going to be placed around your ship. So your ship is placed on this circular board in the middle and the ship itself can turn to face any of the six directions. And each of these directions is going to have cards in it, which will be different threats. So you're going to win the game by completing the mission. You lose the game if your ship runs out of health or if you've completed the two or three rounds and you've still not succeeded in completing the goal for that mission. So what are you going to do? You're going to take your sand timer, which represents you, a character in the game, and you're going to place it on one of these holes that are in the ship each are associated with certain actions. For example, if you go to the crow's nest, you'll be able to flip over one of those threat cards and look at it and see what's there. You can also go to a load cannons action where you're going to take these little black discs and put them next to a couple of the cannons. There are four cannons on the ship, two on each side, and when you take this reload cannons action, you're going to be able to load two of those four cannons. You can do one on each side or two on the same side. That's up to you. Another action is you can shoot these cannons, and there are two spots to shoot cannons on each side of the ship. Now, you do need to maneuver your ship so those spots are facing enemy threats. Then you will be able to shoot them. Another action you can do is control the sails. You will need to be at different speeds to do different things in the game, and the higher the speed you're going, typically the lower your maneuverability. That's another action you can do is steer your ship. One of the last actions is repair, and I didn't get into this yet, but there's two ways your ships can get damaged. You have a life total, which will be represented by little heart tokens that you put on the back of your ship, and it's typically three or five life. But you also have these little corks that you put in to damage your ship. Basically, you're taking these corks and you are putting them in the spots that your sand timers can normally go. So if your ship gets shot, depending on which angle they get shot from, 
you will put a cork in that spot and you will not be able to do that action again until you repair it. So one of the other actions you have is repair. And this one is not subject to getting damaged throughout the game. So you will always have the repair action available to you. Now you do only have three of these corks, and if all three are on the board and you would get damaged again, that's when you start losing those heart tokens. Another way to lose these heart tokens is when you do the steer action and you turn a certain way, you will reveal the cards in front of you if you have not already revealed those through the crow's nest action. And if any of those cards say rocks on them, you've hit rocks and you've damaged your ship. Now, if you look at them through the crow's nest, you would just discard the rock cards. So those are the basic actions in the game. You will have other actions available to you as the game goes on. And that's it. You're basically going to do the two or three rounds and try to complete your mission goal and survive. So now that we've gone over the rules, let's go ahead and see what the kids have to say about A Tale of Pirates. Hi, I'm Peter and I'm here with... Nick, his son. Hey Nick, and can you tell everybody how old you are? I'm 10. So Nick, what game have we been playing a lot lately? We've been playing A Pirate's Tale. Or A Tale of Pirates. A Tale of Pirates. Same thing. (laughs) All right, Nick. So let me know. What is your third thing that you think people should know about A Tale of Pirates? I think that they should know that there are tokens. Because if you just get this game thinking, oh, it's a game. There are big pieces and cards. I'm not going to lose anything. I just want to give them a heads up that there are tokens. And they're little, so you might lose them. All right, but more important than losing the tokens, what were you telling me earlier about the tokens and how you use them? Sometimes, like, when you go to your bed, you, like, get a token, but sometimes you get really lucky and you get a question mark, which means you can do whatever you want on your action for free. You don't have to even use your sand timer, but sometimes you get unlucky and you get Z, which is sleep in, and you don't get anything. Okay, and do you like that part of the game, or do you think find it frustrating? I find it frustrating with disease, but I also find it exciting when you get a question mark. So do you like so. the fact, I mean, you go use that action a lot, so clearly you like the excitement yes. of like whether you get something yes, good or is, something bad? that is fun. Okay, all right, and I think that'll tie into one of your other points too, but... All right, so moving on from tokens, what's the next thing you think people should know about? I think they should know that there are difficulty levels. So some days you're like, ugh, I I really don't want to play a super hard game. So then all you need to do is set the difficulty at, like, easy or normal. But if you're up for a challenge, you could set the difficulty on hard, and it will be more of a challenge. They, like, add in more enemy ships and other stuff they like give you damage tokens at the beginning of the game yeah so the different difficulty levels do scale the game really well now do you think that the game itself is interesting enough that you would actually want to play through maybe all the way through on easy then on normal then again on hard i think playing through it once would be enough for me but then after a while i go and play it through on a harder level later Because, you know, I can't really sit around back-to-back games. All right, so you do think the difficulty levels will give you, like, more replayability. Give you more chances to play. And maybe even play with people of different skill levels. Yes. That makes sense. All right, so Nick, everybody wants to know, what's your number one thing that people should know about A Tale of Pirates? That there are 
packages in the game for different levels and so you get level one and there's this like this cute little package with a one on that's called chapter that says chapter one on it and i open up this package and sometimes you get more bad guys sometimes you get ships that help you sometimes you get like a bar or a jail or something and sometimes you get parts to add on to your ship which is really, really cool. Yeah, and we haven't talked about that, the 3D aspect of the ship. is that? Per- oh, yeah. It's it's really cool. So is that one of the things that attracts you to the game? Is yes. that you get to play with this like huge 3D model that yes. sits in the middle of the table? And so your number one thing, though, is the packages, and you like opening them up and kind of... Yes, that is fun for me. Yeah, so it seems to be a theme between the tokens and the packages for the different scenarios. So you like opening things up and just figuring out what's inside. Yes, yes I do. Another part that I like is that there are pirates. All right, so Nick, what are your overall impressions? You seem pretty excited by the game. Yes, I am. So if you had to rate this game from 1 to 10, 10 being awesome, the best thing you've ever played, and 1 being the worst thing you've ever played, what would you put this game at? I would give it a nine. A nine. So a really, really good game. Almost yes. your favorite game of all yes. time. It's in my top ten. It's in your top ten games? Top five. Top five games. All right. Very cool. Well, now we know what Nick thinks about A Tale of Pirates. Thanks for joining us. Yes. Hi, I'm Peter, and I'm here with... Allison. Allison. Now, Allison, how old are you? Six. Six years old. And what game have we been playing a lot lately? We have been playing A Tale of Pirates. A Tale of Pirates, that's right. And what do you think about the game? Well, hold on. Let's not ruin that part yet. We're going to actually get Allison's top three things she thinks about A Tale of Pirates. So why don't you go ahead and tell us your number three thing that you think about A Tale of Pirates. That you have tokens and you can go to sleep in the bed and then you could either get zzz or tokens. Okay, so you like that action of going to the bed and getting tokens? And the bar. And the bar too? You like going to the bar to get tokens? Yes. So is there something cool about the tokens? Like do you like it when you flip them over or do you like it just because sometimes you don't know what to do? Or what's your favorite part about those tokens? So my favorite part of the bed is that sometimes you get a mystery token, which means you can um, get anything you want. Okay. And do you like being able to use those tokens later? Yeah. It's really fun. Okay. And then, all right, so that was your number three. How about your number two? What's your number two things you think we should know about? Sand timers as people. So what does that mean, sand timers as people? So as your people, you go into a little hole, you flip the sand timers over, and once the sand timer top is empty, um, you can take your action. Oh, okay. So do you think that's clever? I think that's very clever. Now, I know one of your other favorite games is Five Minute Dungeon, right? Yes. So do you like these games where there's like a timer counting down against you or for you? Yes, I like those games. Now, what what about that makes you happy? I just like it because all of those games and somehow, like, some of them, most of them, you have, like, working together. That's, like, my favorite part about sand timer games. Is that you work together yeah, on those? mostly so that you can beat the sand timer. And sometimes you are the sand timer. 
Right. Okay. Well, that leads right into your number one. And what's your number one thing for people to know about A Tale of Pirates? Good teamwork. Good teamwork. So what does that mean? So it means like you're working together and like sometimes you laugh and have fun. Okay. Does it sometimes get a little stressful? Yes. Yeah. Now who's the one who gets stressed out? Sometimes me and daddy. Sometimes you and daddy. (laughs) Does brother get stressed out at all too? Oh, he's the one who laughs. He laughs when we get stressed out. And it's like, ah. Like, very weird that he goes like, ah, ha, ha, that's so funny. It's not really funny in a way. It's not funny? <laughs> it's stressful? Yes. What do you do when you get stressed out in the game? I usually, like, try to fix the problem sometimes, and sometimes I just leave it be. Oh, okay. So... I think we got a pretty good idea of what you think. But what is your overall impression of A Tale of Pirates? Oh, I'm sorry. I should use smaller (laughs) words. Impression means what do you think? What do you think about the game? I think that the game is fun. You think it's fun? Uh Uh-huh. All right. So on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being super great, 1 being awful, what do you think it is? 10. You think it's a 10? 10 out of 10? Yes. Are you looking forward to playing it again? Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Allison. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So now that you heard what the kids thought, I'll tell you my top five. So my number five is that the two-player game is a little weird. Each player gets two sand timers or two actions, and you're not allowed to control both of them at the same time, so you can't have one in each hand and put them out simultaneously. And it does lead to some weird situations. I'm sure once you're an expert at the game, it wouldn't be as much of a problem. But as you're learning the game, I think the two-player game is not the strong suit. So I wouldn't recommend learning the game playing it as a two-player. Number four is I love the diversity in enemies. These threat cards have a lot of different things on them. And they do really interesting things with the cards. A lot of times, you're just trying to turn so they get on either one of your sides of the ship. So you can use the cannons to shoot at them. But some of the ships have multiple life. Or there might even be two ships on one card and you'll have to kill each of them individually. Or there might be ships that chase you, and so you have to get your speed up to three to get away from them. But then when you're at speed three, you can't turn at all, so you won't be able to turn to deal with other threats as well. So it's really neat how they've created a lot of diversity with just simple threat cards. So number four is I really dig the diversity in the enemies. Number three is the chapters. I think they do a really good job making each chapter unique. Yes, you'll be dealing with similar threats, but you need that because if you didn't have similar threats from mission to mission, you'd be learning a lot of new stuff each mission. And there already is somewhat of a legacy aspect to it. No, you're not tearing things up, but each mission builds on the mission before it. So you need to understand how all of these cards work. And if they introduce three or four new concepts in one mission, it would be very hard to learn and deal with these threats in real time. So I really like how they've stacked the complexity on top of itself, and there is a lot of diversity in these chapters, even though it has a very simple rule set and really you only have seven or eight actions available to you each time you play. My number two thing I think you should know is the Sandheimers' actions work really well. I know this is not the first game to use Sandheimers' actions, but it is as far as I know, the first co-op game to do it. 
and the 3D element of it with this 3D ship in the middle and you're placing these SAM timers in these little holes really takes it to the next level. Because once you place your sand timer, you're not allowed to remove it, even if you don't want to do that action anymore. And so really the timing and coordination is essential in this game. And the sand timers make it so that you do have time because you have 30 seconds while your sand timer is running down to talk to other players and kind of try to figure out what they're doing next and which way the ship's going to turn. And, oh, wait a minute, we need to slow it down so we can turn it even more or what we want to do. So there is a lot of discussion that goes on at the table while your sand timer is going, but at the same time, it is a real-time game, so you have limited time to do things. And my number one thing I think you need to know about the game is there is just a really cool 3D aspect to it. The 3D ship itself is just a very cool table presence. Once people see this game, they're going to want to come over and see what you're doing. Then they find out it's real-time and frantic, and it really does have a great table presence. I mean, I think it was a $50 or $60 retail game worth every penny of it. So especially if you have small kids, as you could hear, my kids were super enthusiastic about it. Now you have to know for yourself whether you like real-time games or not. I played it with my friend Jerry, and he's not a real-time fan. So it was two-player, and like I said earlier, I think two-player is a little weird to play, but he wasn't a huge fan of it, and it's because he doesn't like real-time games, and what he said at the end was, yeah, it's a real-time game. So you have to know yourself if you liked games like Five Minute Dungeon, which we talked about earlier, if you like games like Escape, Curse of the Temple, I think you will like games like A Tale of Pirates as well. That is my number one thing, is all the cool bits. I mean, it really has a table presence. This will be a unique visual experience in your collection. Now, the one thing I didn't mention in my top five, so kind of an honorable mention, is the app as well. So the app's really neat because it kind of teaches you the rules as you go. There are some basic rules in the rule book, but if you want to know how the cards themselves work, you just click on a picture of the card in the app and it will tell you how that card specifically works. So if you forget anything while you're going, there's no rule book looking up. You just look it up in the app itself. Now, I don't think there's a way to pause the game in the middle of it and look up a card while you're doing that. So make sure you know what the cards are beforehand. But one of the other cool aspects of the app is sometimes bad things will happen to you. Now, there are different difficulties for each chapter. So you could do easy, normal, or hard. Hard. And depending on the difficulty level, more stuff is going to happen to you. So the wind may blow and turn your ship one way or another. Or your gunpowder may get wet and you have to reload your cannons again. So the app does other neat things beside act as a timer. Plus there's some thematic music that really ramps up in speed as you go along. And you kind of need the volume on while you're playing. So that's another thing. It's not probably ideal for a con setting because it kind of chirps at you when you do have one of these events happen that the app's telling you about. It chirps at you so you know to look at the app and change your sail setting or, or whatever the challenge it puts in front of you. With such a simple system, they have a lot of neat dials to make the game more or less challenging. 
and it's a great cooperative experience as well. So my overall impressions of the game are, if you like real-time games, I think it's well worth your money to get this one. We haven't made it through all the chapters yet, but my kids are really looking forward to finishing it, and I am as well. And so if you're a real-time player, I highly recommend this. The 3D aspect's very cool, the real-time elements are really cool, and the cooperative elements are really cool. So A Tale of Pirates, it's not the easiest game to find. I think I got mine off of Amazon, but your local game store may have it as well. So now that we're done with the review section of the episode, let me bring Mike on and we're going to talk to you about one year of Co-Opcast. So thanks for sticking with us. If it's your first time, thanks for joining us and let's relive our first year of Co-Opcast. Come on in, Mike. All right. Well, welcome to the second half of the show. It's Peter again. Hey, and Mike's here too. Wow. We got both of us on together at this point of the show. It's been kind of weird being without you for the first half. Yeah, I, I, I missed you so badly while I was talking to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a great time talking to my kids as well. I can't wait for you to hear that part of the discussion. And to be honest, I haven't heard your full review of Legacy of Dragonhold either, so I'm looking forward to hearing that later on. No, I'm with you, and I haven't actually even played the game you reviewed with your kids, so I'm really excited on multiple levels with that one. Yeah, maybe I'll talk you into going out and buying it. Well, I'll just borrow your copy, man, if I can... Oh, wait, it's your kid's favorite game right now, isn't it? (laughs) No, 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 don't worry. There are plenty of games to play. We've been playing plenty of other games as well, so you can borrow it at any time. I was just joking because of the the one episode you talked yourself into going out and buying a game. Well, it's uh, funny you mention that. (laughs) I did it again. Well, sort of. Yeah, so Peter's referring to previously we when we did a bunch of real-time games, I got myself to go out and buy uh, Escape, the second big box edition that has a bunch of expansions. And in sort of a similar way, after we reviewed Sentinels of the Multiverse, and I came out kind of against the app, which is the only version I had to play it, I borrowed my friend's copy of the game, and I've been playing that a lot by myself and also with my wife. And actually, I've been playing it with Harrison a little bit too, just with a kind of a simplified version. And there's a pretty good chance I'm going to try to buy it for my friend and get more expansions for it. So Nice. <laughs> yeah, I keep on convincing myself to spend more money by reviewing games. Not a good economic strategy there. Well, and I guess we can get into, you know, this is our one-year anniversary episode. So in the end here, we're just going to have a little reminiscing about what's happened over the last year and talk about what we've been playing lately. That's not normally part of our format, but we have a lot of games that we've been playing that we just haven't had a chance to cover. Maybe update you on our thoughts on some other games, like we finished the Pandemic Legacy 2 campaign. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about that. Not going to take a whole lot of time here, but it'd be fun to just sit down and talk because we don't normally do that on our episodes. Yeah, I'm I'm really blown away that it's already been one year. I just mentioned that to Vanessa a little bit ago, and she just couldn't believe it. It doesn't feel like that long. I mean, I'm looking back through our recording history, and it's definitely true. <laughs> but yeah, it, this this hasn't seemed like too much work because you're doing all the editing. So thanks for that, Peter. Well, and a new milestone on our one year anniversary. You edited your half of the episode with Vanessa. So that's exciting news. So maybe going forward, it'll be even easier to get episodes out. Well, we'll talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) No, it actually wasn't too bad. So I'm totally willing to switch off or at least take my turn editing every once in a while. Very cool. So uh, yeah, what, what I've been playing, do you just want to jump in with that? Sure. So I've been playing Sentinels of the Multiverse. 
Okay. My friend Jerry that I borrowed it from has three or four of the bigger expansions and then some of the mini expansions with characters. Right. That game's a lot of fun. And I, I will double down entirely, at least for me, I actually enjoy the fiddly-like math of keeping track of all the things and playing with other people and having the actual cards in my hand. I'm definitely enjoying it a lot more in a physical version than I am or than I was with the app. Now, I still think solo play is certainly easier with the app, but easier is not necessarily better, and I'm having a lot more fun with it as a card game. Yeah, you know, it's funny. We both play video games, so it is not that we only play board games, but I do think that there is something to the tactical nature of board games and the physicalness of them that that keeps us coming back. And I mean, I think everybody listening to this podcast is probably feeling the same way. There's definitely a different feeling sitting down with somebody across the table and not having that electrical interference or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, and just to go back to one of the points, not to rehash the entire previous episode, but I still think that a lot of it is the time investment in taking a bunch of time to pull out a game, organize the components, set it up, shuffle the decks, it becomes a more important experience and is in a way more enjoyable for me at least. Well, and certainly more memorable. And I had this same feeling when it came to playing One Night Ultimate Werewolf. And I know you like that game, but for me... Each individual game didn't have very much meaning because you set it up and played it so quickly. And by the time we were done, I I feel the same way about micro games. By the time we were done, I didn't have that same feeling as if I had had a full experience. Yeah, I'll agree with you on that. Although I do enjoy playing four or five games of something like Hanabi or Love Letter in a row. And I would put code names in that same category. A game of code names is often very quick almost micro-game-ish, but that doesn't lessen it for me. But yeah, I guess with One Night Ultimate Werewolf, you do have great longer options for a similar game available. Secret Hitler, Battlestar Galactica, if you really want to go long, Dark Moon, The Resistance in any of its forms. Right. So I can see what you're saying, especially since those games are kind of built on the tension of the traitor. One Night Ultimate Werewolf does almost remove that tension entirely because you can just be an idiot and it doesn't really matter because the game will be over in a few minutes. Well, and maybe that's part of it. Maybe I didn't come in with the right, or I don't come into those games with the right stakes at hand. Whereas Codenames, on the other hand, I just want a good experience and that game almost always delivers it. The tension's there for me, even though it's a shorter game, especially with Codenames Duet we've been playing a lot lately. It's like, all right, one more game, one more game. I know we can do it this time. Or, oh, we just beat that one. Let's make it a little harder on ourselves this next time. So for me, I do get that feeling. Maybe it's the co-opness of it, or maybe it's just the system itself. But it really does drive me to keep playing that one. So going back to, uh, you know, stuff we've previously reviewed, Codenames Duet is still a huge hit at my table. That's great. I love that series. I was just playing that with Harrison the other day. Just to quickly run through some other things I've been playing, I did try out the Prophecy of Dragons expansion for Time Stories. Yep. And was not too impressed. I think it's one of the weakest ones I've played out of that set. It felt more linear, despite there being more choices of how to progress, if that makes sense. Yes, it does make sense having played that one. It seems like there are certain things you have to do, but in some ways those are the puzzles themselves. Whereas in other games, you might come across puzzles throughout. It felt like that one, the puzzle was, which characters do I take down which path? Sure, but 
later on in the campaign, I felt like the puzzles were just what order do I go to places, and it felt less satisfying than the Asylum or Marcy case, which I would say are still the best ones for actual mystery solving. Yeah. And besides that, I've been playing Stuffed Fables with my five-year-old. We have not quite finished yet. And I mentioned this before when I guested on our other podcast with Steve, but it's it's good. Still has some issues with the design, but I do enjoy a lot of it. I did not love Mice and Mystics, and I feel like this one is improving on some of the things I did not love there. And the theme and the components are amazing. Well, that's good. And I mean, if your five-year-old's enjoying it, what else do you expect? Yeah. There aren't going to be many games that you're going to love that your kids are also going to love. And when you can find that good marriage, you know, especially as your kids get older, it should come more and more together. But when you're playing games just to play with your kids, and we talked about this on the kids episode, sometimes you just have to know going in that it's not going to be the most challenging experience for you as well. Absolutely. And the last, not even co-op game I've been playing, but there's a co-op part to it, is Betrayal at Baldur's Gate. Oh, okay. Which, for those who don't know the Betrayal series, it starts out in a sort of co-op format, but then at some point in the game, one or more of you become a traitor or go to another side. And we've been enjoying that. They definitely cleaned up some things that I didn't like in the original Betrayal at House on Haunted Hill. And I am very interested, I think... Betrayal Legacy is coming out pretty soon here. Again, not a fully cooperative game, but has some kind of co-op elements, or I guess some semi-co-op elements in there. Yeah, it's so funny. I'd forgotten you had gotten that because we've been playing so many games for either review or trying to get our games ready that, you know, I forgot that was even on the table. So we'll definitely have to get that to the table with all of us here soon. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, It's pretty fun. But besides that, I've been playing actually mostly competitive games, and then, as Peter mentioned, really mostly testing and working on our games, and it's also been a really, really busy time at work. So I have not played as much as I would like. Yeah, well, we did finish our Pandemic Legacy 2 campaign, and we can get into that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, why don't you talk through the other things you've been playing, and then we can both touch base, since that was just you, me, and Jerry playing the entire time. Yeah, absolutely. So the games I've mostly been playing are Tale of Pirates, which you'll hear about in this episode. My kids and I really enjoyed that one, as you will hear. We've really had a good time with it. We haven't played it much lately, but it's more scheduled than anything. And I did get another new co-op, which is Thanos Rising. Oh, I didn't know you got that. I'm interested to try that one out. Yeah, I did get it. It's been interesting so far. I'm very curious to see what your reactions to the game will be. And I'm also curious to play it in an adult setting because some of the games have gone long with the kids. And I'm not sure if that's the game or, you know, when you play anything with kids, it's going to go longer than you expect it to. Sure, sure. Yeah, beside that, I haven't played any other co-ops beside our games. I mean, we did a lot of playtesting. I know we had Unpub that just went through. And since then, we've been working fast and furious on this one game that I don't know if we've announced it yet, but we've gotten signed. And so now we have three games signed, two of which we're pretty much done working on unless the publishers come back to us with more. And one that we're still working pretty heavy on just to get the campaign setting together. Yeah, we don't talk about our own design too much here because we're usually focusing on games or interviews, but things are going well. MVP board games, getting some stuff out there. Well, and it's funny, and I mean, I guess that brings us back to this whole one-year co-op cast anniversary, and we will get back to Pandemic Legacy 2 in a second, I promise. But, you know, it's funny. We started this whole enterprise so we could 
explore co-op games more because that's what we'd been designing. And we figured this would be a good way for us to kind of do some research. You know, before we're designing all these co-op games, we should be experts in co-op games. And so that's why we started the podcast to some degree. Plus, we like to hear ourselves talk a little, I think, too. (laughs) Yes, I'd agree with you on that. So it's been a good experiment, though. I mean, it really has helped our design, I feel like, over the last year. Like, we're really streamlining our processes, getting stuff down. And I haven't felt like we've hit as many hurdles as we had in the past. Yeah, and hopefully a few of you listening might be game designers as well. And I hope that you've gained some useful tips or at least solidified things you already knew, already understood about game design. So to get back to what we mentioned, we did finish Pandemic Legacy Season 2. How many times did we lose in the end? I think three or four. Does that sound right? We lost three in a row. And then I think we had one other one. Yeah, we lost at least one other one. Yeah, so I think we got 16 plays out of it because, you know, without spoiling anything, it's a 12-month game just like Pandemic Legacy Season 1, and each month can take one or two plays to progress through. And we're going to keep this spoiler-free, so don't worry if you haven't had a chance to play through it yet, but we are going to give our thoughts and feelings, and so if you don't want to hear anything about it, just skip ahead two minutes. Yeah, so to be brief, I had an interesting journey with Pandemic Legacy Season 2, Unlike Peter, I had not played Season 1, although, well, I guess I played a couple games of it, but I did not go through the full experience. And also, I like Pandemic, but I prefer the Forbidden series, especially Forbidden Island, and other games that have implemented the same mechanics afterwards. So with that being said, I loved Pandemic Legacy Season 2 at first, especially the theme. Got fairly lukewarm on it in the middle... In the late middle, I was actually having a hard time getting it to the table. And then in the end, it picked up a little bit. I won't say that it was entirely a slam dunk win at the end, but I did enjoy some of the things that happened and found the game to be much more exciting in some of the uh, final months. So overall, I would still recommend people try it out, but I wouldn't say that I love the experience throughout. I don't think I can say that, honestly. Yeah, and for me, it kind of worked the opposite. I was very excited when we first started. I was super excited about these multiple different paths and going through and playing however you wanted and being able to open things at your own pace. But then what I realized is it got a little frustrating at some point because if you didn't open things that you kind of needed to open, it became much more challenging. And if you had opened them, it seemed really, really easy. So the difficulty scale was the thing that upset me the most, I think. With Season 2, that and I had a really hard time following the campaign. The way they laid out the story on the cards, I found it really hard to follow what was going on. And I don't know if it was just me, but I didn't find it nearly as memorable as Season 1. And maybe I didn't remember every detail of Season 1, but I felt like the story was more guided, is a better way to put it, more linear. So that way I could kind of follow the storyline. I have the same problem with Gloomhaven, in all honesty, where I don't remember what happened in the past. So maybe my memory's just going as I get older. I have no idea. (laughs) I'll say I also found season two's story a bit muddled at times because of the way it was told. But I do feel like I understand the whole story having played through it, and I appreciate a lot of the directions it took. Gloomhaven, I think, has a very different problem in that you can travel down so many different branching paths, and many of them are just side quests that don't inform the main story at all. 
So I think that's why I lose track of the story in Gloomhaven. But here, I didn't have that problem. I just think that in being creative with the storytelling, they actually made it less clear at times. Yeah, and my biggest disappointment with Season 2 is, first of all, the difficulty scaling was probably my number one thing. Like, I didn't love how some missions seemed almost impossible to win, and others were super easy and we breezed through it. And for a while there, it felt like at the end, we were playing games in like 30 minutes. It would take 30 minutes to set up and do the between-game stuff, and then we'd only be playing for 30 minutes. I do think there was some good story moments at the end of the campaign, some memorable stuff. I just wish some of that stuff came earlier in the campaign just so we could have enjoyed it and it would have pushed me through to want to play those later games more right from the beginning, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, so I think that about covers it. We still enjoyed the game, I think, but yeah, had some caveats, had some drawbacks to the experience overall. All right, so I I did something here, which I don't know if it's fun for everybody, but it was kind of fun for me to do. I'm kind of a numbers person when it comes to the podcast, so I love looking through the data and seeing number of downloads, what were our most popular episodes, things like that. So if you have a couple seconds here, I'd love to kind of go through it with you just to get a live reaction here, because I don't think we've talked about this. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious how we're doing. You've told me a couple of episodes, but I don't know the numbers overall. Right now, we're at about 20,000 downloads. Certainly, by the time this goes live, we'll be over 20,000 downloads in just under a year. That's great. Our first day was May 21st in the first month. Can you guess how many downloads we had in that month of May? So granted, it's only you know a few days, but how many downloads do you think we had? <laughs> I mean, they were probably mostly us listening to ourselves. <laughs> I guess, uh, so 20,000, we're talking about 12 months, but there's like a fraction of a month. I'll say 100. That's pretty much right on, 109 downloads. It's funny, because between episodes 0 and 1 was only one week, and we had 25 downloads for that first episode. Huh. The first full month we had in June was 567 downloads, And I don't have exact data for what our biggest day was, but we had a pretty big day in the last month, and I did track that, where we had 500 downloads in one day. So the the entire first full month we had was uh, something we've had in one day recently. So I guess that's how things escalate. Yeah, I mean, that's great. I would love to have more chances for participation from our audience in the coming year. Like, I'd love to run a contest sometime to give away a game, any of that kind of stuff. I think that would be really exciting, hopefully for you all listening as well. Um, we have gotten some cool comments recently, more than in the past. Like, on the Stegmeyer episode, we got a few comments, and people have been suggesting variants to us when we bring up concerns, like they did that for Sentinels of the Multiverse. So that kind of stuff is great. Although I love talking to you, Peter, I would really like to be engaged in conversations with our audience as well. And even if you all have games to suggest or anything like that. So I don't know if we've said it in any of the rest of the episode, but please feel free to contact us at MVP Board Games. Also, uh, you can email us at MVPBoardGames at gmail.com. So please feel free to reach out. We're also on SoundCloud. You can leave comments there. There's lots of ways to reach us. Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to hear back. You know, that one episode, we had feedback section at the beginning of the episode, and I really did enjoy that. I know some of my favorite podcasts now are having feedback at the beginning of each episode. Not many of the gaming podcasts yet at this point, but I'd love to get feedback at the beginning of each episode and just get to riff on that a little bit, talking about, you know, our previous episode. Sure, absolutely. All right, so just a couple more things here. 
What do you think is our most downloaded episode? Uh, I would go with either Gloomhaven or our end-of-the-year retrospective where we went through all the games because people love lists. I'd probably guess out of the two of those, the list one would edge it out. Yep, that is number one and two right there, episode 16 and episode 14. So right at the end of the year, our top 15 is our top downloaded episode and followed closely by Gloomhaven. And then interestingly enough, what, what do you think our number three is? Hmm. Maybe one of our one of our ones with our bigger guests. Maybe Stegmeyer or Matt Leacock? You know, you're you're on a roll right here. Yes, it's our Time Stories episode thirty one with Jamie Stegmeyer. The one that just happened a few weeks back. Yeah, exactly. That's the, that's great. I mean, that, that's a good that's a good trend. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, and then episode zero is actually the next one after the Time Stories oh, episode. I didn't even think about that. That intro episode that only had twenty five downloads by the time episode one came out is now our fourth most downloaded episode. I think a lot of people go back and kind of start at the beginning there. Man, I feel like I should go back and listen to it, because I don't even remember what we talked about. <laughs> we talked about our top games for new gamers. Okay. That, that sounds like a useful episode. <laughs> and then, uh, so after the intro episode, you're absolutely right. It was Matt Leacock's episode. And then two episodes. I don't know if you get these two. So that's why I put them down. Like, I thought those top ones were pretty obvious, but what do you think the next two might be? Um, Pandemic Legacy Season 2 and Eldritch Horror with Chris Kirkman. No, it was Arkham Horror, the living card game episode. Oh, well, that's one of my favorites, so good on you all for having good taste. And maybe it's because we talked about it so much in episode 16, where we talked about our top five, because it was so high up on your list, maybe that drew some people to that episode, because that was our fifth episode, so that's that was a while ago. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's that's definitely kind of outside of the, the box for the rest of these. And this one I never would have guessed. Not in a million years. This one I would have thought might have been near the bottom of our list. But apparently Liz from Beyond Solitaire has quite a cra- crowd following her because our episode 17, Dragonfire, was one of the top episodes, which... All right, Liz, bringing us the audience. <laughs> Absolutely. And that was my favorite game of the year, Dragonfire. Loved it. <laughs> yeah, we were a little negative, but thank goodness we had Liz <laughs> there because she brought us up. Yes. I've I've played absolutely none of Dragonfire since that episode. <laughs> so, did you have any moments that kind of stuck out to you over the last year of recording? I, I will say we've just brought them up, but all of the interviews were amazingly fun. I mean, even going back to having Colin on before he became a regular on the podcast channel, had a ton of fun talking about Gloomhaven and Spirit Island with Colin. Liz was great, even for a game I didn't enjoy that much. Matt Leacock, that was... Some of these have been sort of starstruck moments for me, like especially Leacock and Jamie Stegmeyer. I've played and loved their games, so it's... Yeah, that's been pretty amazing. It was great talking to Kirkman, a fellow uh, Eldritch lover and a Lovecraft lover, and just completely geeking out with him. Yeah, I wasn't part of that episode. I was just quietly in the background, like, huddled (laughs) up in my corner, like, what are these guys talking about? (laughs) You were a bystander. Definitely. Also talking with Dan about ghost stories, that was so much fun. Uh, Getting into it with Jason on Pandemic and... I, th- I think that was the closest we've come to sort of a debate on the show, and that was a lot of fun, like having those kind of disagreements on things. 
Yeah, I, I, I've loved the guests most of all because nothing is worse than talking with you, Peter. So anytime <laughs> well, I get to, you know, get away from that is is lovely. I totally get it. And we even had Jerry on one episode when we were talking about the Dice Tower Awards. Yeah, forget that guy. We <laughs> see him every week. He's not special. <laughs> well, no, I was very happy to have him on too. And so with that in mind, we actually have some guests lined up for the future. Just to spoil a few of them, we have Richard Launius, who we have worked with on one of our games that is coming out. He's going to come on one of our episodes coming up pretty soon. We also have Stephanie Straw from Board Game Geek fame. We've known her since Unpub 4, I think. So for quite a few years now, I'd love to get like Daryl and Leslie Louder Daryl of Compounded fame, and Leslie, his wife's making a co-op game, so I'd love to get her thoughts on on other co-ops and just designing a co-op as a first-time designer. Sam and Nick are a couple that I met at Gen Con a couple years back when Salvation Road first came out. Definitely want to get them on. Yeah, that that's one episode we've been planning and thinking about, having other guests on to talk about one of our designs, in this case, probably Salvation Road, since that's our only published co-op. And <laughs> I'm a little trepidatious about the idea, but I think it could be a lot of fun to hear others do their uh, top five lists, just like some of uh, designers who have been on the show have heard us discuss their games. So, yeah, sh- should be an interesting experience when we finally make that one happen. For me, it's not because I'm worried about what people are going to say about the game. I, I I mean, I'm very happy with where the game is, but of course, there's always things you want to go back and change. And that's the one thing we're going to add in for a design discussion about that episode is going back and re-looking at some of your old designs and just what would we do differently this time? So that part of the episode would be pretty fun for me. Yeah, so definitely a lot of fun content coming down. And oh, I forgot, we we have played another game that we want to probably review sometime in the future. Peter got sort of cobbled together a, a test copy of The Mind. Oh, yes, definitely. So if you haven't heard about this, this is it's a fascinating game. We won't get too much into it because, again, I fully anticipate us covering this once the uh, full edition comes out. Is this getting distributed by Pandasaurus in the U.S.? Is that right? Yeah, it's coming out from Pandasaurus. So once we get a release date for that or, you know, when you can get your hands on it, we're going to probably review it before it comes out. Because we did cobble together a version of it, but I'm definitely going to buy it when it comes out in full retail. Because I definitely want to support the designer and publisher of this one for sure. Yeah, I imagine I'll do the same. So just from that, you can already guess that we probably will have some positive things to say about the design. But it's a cool one for a quick, simple, very straightforward game. Definitely some good stuff going on there. Yeah, definitely. So we've got a lot of things lined up. We've got Unicornus Knights. We've got V Commandos, games that didn't get a lot of love the first time through. We could talk about we have Flea. So there's still a lot of games we're looking at. Mysterium, we haven't even covered Mysterium yet. I mean, gosh, that is a game that, as a co-op gamer, you definitely need to try that one at some point. And I think we have a bunch of co-op Kickstarters coming for delivery in the next several months, right? Absolutely. we got Shadows of Brimstone coming. There's been a ton of detective games. we got one of them that seem most like an escape room. We've got that one coming. We got Zombicide. We still haven't covered Zombicide at all. We've got Zombicide Black Plague, and I just backed the new Invaders one. So, yeah, there's still a lot of co-op games out there that we haven't even looked at yet. Yeah, so we've done a year, but we're still going strong. We're going to keep on creating content, and we love all of you for joining us on this ride, and we hope you continue to listen, share it with your friends. If, if anybody likes board games, they'll probably enjoy this podcast. 
And hopefully we can introduce you to some new games and get you some new thoughts on games you've previously played. Yeah, and there's so many different types of co-op games. I mean, I think that's the one thing we're trying to impress on you. And as you've seen, we haven't reviewed the same kind of game every week. And the co-op audience is... I think very divided, much more so than most other audiences. You have people that love dungeon crawls. You have people that love the puzzly Euro ones. You have people that love the quick dice chuck-in ones. And so there are so many different types of co-ops out there that there's bound to be one for everybody. But hopefully you're at least learning some things about some games that maybe you wouldn't have given a chance to in the past, and maybe they would be something you like, and maybe you're not going to go out and buy them all. We certainly don't expect you to do that, but maybe if you're at a convention and one of them sounded interesting to you, go buy the booth, go get a demo, go take out a copy from your local game store or board game cafe and try them out sometime. Maybe you'll find a new love for co-ops the way we have. Absolutely. If we can make someone enjoy a new game, that would be the, the best possible result. All right, well, we've taken up enough of these good people's time. Didn't even talk about Stephen Collin. Oh, my gosh, I almost forgot. Before we get off, I do want to just thank Stephen Collins so much for joining the podcast. They have brought a lot of energy, a very different perspective from us, hopefully. And hopefully everybody out there has enjoyed their content as well, because we certainly have. Yeah, I was going to say, that's that's one of my favorite podcasts to listen to every other week. <laughs> Hearing what Steve and Colin hasn't been there in a while, I'm excited for him to come back now that his moves, uh, I think, all completed. But yeah, I, I really look forward to what Steve and Colin have to say every other week. So if you have only been listening to us, stop it. <laughs> There's some amazing content on our, our other bi-weekly episodes, so check out what Steve and Colin have to say, too. Absolutely. So thank you again, everybody, for sticking with us through our first year, and we look forward to many more years to come. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Co-OpCast. We'll be back in two weeks to review another cooperative board game. Until then, please review us on iTunes. And while you're there, check out Mindless Fate. They provide our bumper music. Also, if you like co-op games and why else would you be here, check out coopboardgames.com. They have some great cooperative board game material. If you want to contact us, feel free to follow us on Twitter at MVP Board Games or email us at mvpboardgames at gmail.com. So now that we're done with the review section of the game on So now that we're done with the review section of the game. So now that we're done with the review session. So now that we're done with the review section of the episode. That was Harrison back then, wasn't it? No, no, it was Colin. Oh, no. Yeah, it was Colin. Now, Salvation Road came out more than two years ago. It was Harrison. Yeah, and and Colin is more than two years old. Well, <laughs> we might cut this entire part of the podcast because I, I don't even know which of our children are which. Uh, okay, so... Get water, let it run. Let it run? Yeah. Are you sure I can't press pause? I don't know what happens. You're, I'm assuming it just pauses. It's like, quick, whip out your H7. And you're like, what? Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> and, and suddenly everyone is dead. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Happy anniversary, Mike. Happy anniversary, Peter.